0: So if you have been following along with us, we have been going through the series that's called The Story. Basically, it's a 32-week series through the Bible. And so what we are trying to do is we are trying to show you the trajectory of Scripture and where God is going with the Scriptures and how to apply them to our lives uh, and to be more acquainted with the Bible. Uh, we are what um, some would call people of the book, people of the Bible as believers. And so that's what we're doing. So we're in First Kings. We have just started First Kings. If you even just want to start reading along with us, you want to pick up your Bibles uh, in your personal study, you can start in First Kings and you'll, as you read through First Kings and First and Second Kings, you'll get caught up. If not, you can read in your books that we gave you that are actually called the story that maps this out for you. And it'll take you through the sections that I will be covering each week. If you want one of those books, let me know, and and we can kind of get you on track. Well, I want this morning to kind of begin with uh, a moment in history. And it it begins in 1889. In 1889, uh, the South Fork Dam gave way to a a uh, massive amount of water that had filled up the reservoir in which it held back. And all of this water flowed down about 14 miles to Johnstown, Pennsylvania. And as it got to Johnstown, Pennsylvania, uh, it flooded the entire town and about, well, over 2,000 people lost their lives. A few years before this great flood, a group of investors that were connected to Andrew Carnegie um, had bought the reservoir and all of the land around it for a hunting and fishing club. And when they had bought uh, this reservoir and the dam and the area around it, they they did a few things. Uh, They lowered the dam by about three feet uh, so that they could drive across the dam. Uh, They put screens Uh, and some of the pipes that let some of the water through to keep the fish in. And they also got rid of some of the relief pipes and sold them for scrap metal. And so after this uh, flood happened, uh, a number of people who survived went to them, and obviously there was a, a lawsuit and so forth. And they were exonerated. They were shown that they did nothing wrong, and at the time um, the judge said it was just an act of God and nobody was really at fault. They kind of put the study away and the study wasn't made public uh, to anyone until years. Years late everybody had pretty much passed away that was involved with this great tragedy. Uh, now after kind of reviewing um, what had taken place and some of the changes made Obviously, there's debate no no matter what, uh, but many architects, engineers believe that if some of these changes were not made, that the flood and these deaths could be prevented. The reason I kind of tell you this or bring up these stories, I mean, these seem to be kind of just small things, small changes to the dam, three feet, just screens over the pipes, just getting rid of a few relief pipes so the waters could come through, but in reality, these small changes led to a, a huge disaster uh, that cost people their lives, that cost these men who were in part of the hunting and fishing club uh, their reputations. And that's one of the things that I want to look at here as we look at First Kings and we examine Solomon's life. Uh, Solomon begins uh, in, a, in a really kind of a fantastic way. Uh, he doesn't begin um, maybe uh, quite as smoothly as you imagine, as you can imagine. But his kingship is given to him in in a a pretty cool way. David, King David, he is uh, he's growing old. And David's son, his third oldest son, uh, named Adonijah, sees an opportunity to become king as his father is aging and is not able to be up and about and around the kingdom. And so Adonijah, he grabs a couple priests and he grabs some friends and he grabs some people and basically he says, now is the time for me to become king. Let's let's throw this party and let's. I'm going to crown myself king. Priest over here, you're going to make some sacrifices. You're going to anoint me for, with oil. We're going to have a party. We're going to invite people and they're going to see that David's son is succeeding him. And so, all of this is happening and all of this is taking place and the prophet Nathan, who you would have learned about a little bit last week, sees what is going on and he knows that Adonijah is not supposed to be king because David had promised Bathsheba, who, remember, was the wife of Uriah, whom David uh, slept with and um, basically killed Uriah last week. We read about that. But... God, through David, had promised Solomon to be king, not Adonijah. So Nathan runs to Bathsheba, Solomon's uh, mother, and he says, Hey, do you realize what's going on? And Adonijah is trying to take hold of the throne right now. And so Bathsheba runs into David, into his chambers where he is laying sick, and she tells him, Your son Adonijah is trying to take the throne. You promised it to Solomon. So David calls everybody in. He calls his priest Zadok in. He calls Nathan in. He calls his uh, warrior and commander Benaniah in. And he calls Solomon in. And he says, Here's what you are going to do. He says, Solomon is going to be king. Solomon, take my mule and ride into town near Adonijah. And there, Zadok, you make the sacrifices and anoint Solomon with oil and you proclaim him king. But Aniah, get your mighty men together, get the warriors together and come together. And all of you are going to shout, long live King Solomon. And so, so they do this and Solomon rides into town. Everybody sees Solomon on David's mule here, which is an, a display that David wanted Solomon to be king, not Adonijah. And they start shouting, long live King Solomon. Now. From what we understand in the scriptures here, Adonijah's party is in earshot of Solomon's coronation as king. And people come to Adonijah and say, hey, what's going on? Have you seen what is happening here? And as Adonijah's party kind of finds out what's going on, his basically his posse kind of starts to slowly trickle away and is left there by himself. And he realizes that He's not going to be king. At that point in time, Solomon's king. Uh, He's king. He's actually king without a whole lot of trouble. That's about as much trouble as Solomon runs into as he's anointed king. I I don't know about you, but if you read throughout history or read throughout the scriptures, um, you will discover that transfers of power uh, typically just don't happen that easy whether it be in the scriptures or even in, in a lot of modern day uh, countries. So Solomon is basically handed here the kingship. His transfer from David as being king to him being king is relatively smooth. He is given the kingdom in a time of peace, in a time of prosperity. And he has the support of pretty much everyone. And so he's, he's got it going for him. And so David, before he passes, he brings Solomon in. And I like to imagine here that, you know, like kind of a movie where the sick king is laying in bed with tons of covers and he brings his son or the warrior he's passing down, whatever he's passing down to, and he whispers to Solomon and he's going to give him this last piece of advice. And this is what he tells Solomon. David says, I'm about to go the way of the earth. In other words, I'm about to die, Solomon. Be strong. And show yourself a man. And keep charge of the Lord your God, walking in His ways and keeping His statutes, His commandments, His rules, and His testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. Be a man. Be strong. This sounds a lot like what Moses tells Joshua when he says, be strong and courageous. And he follows really the formula in which Joshua gives Moses as well. When he's talking about being strong and courageous, he's not just talking about being physically strong or being ready for battle. But when he says be a man here, it's connected to this idea that he will walk in the way of the Lord, that he'll keep his statutes, that his word will be the most important thing in his life. And David says, Solomon, your success will be connected to your obedience. If you, are going, if you are going to prosper, if your manhood is going to shine, it will be connected to you obeying God. Now, I believe that Solomon was thinking about this in these last words of David here. When God shows up to him in a dream and God asks Solomon, he says, Hey, Solomon. Whatever you want, I want you to ask for it right now. Now let's just have some fun with this. If if God showed up to you and said, "Hey, whatever you want, right now," what would you ask for? Say it. With, hey, come on. All right. No, I'm 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 asking for real here. All right. Right. Like right. you know the answer to this. All right. If you didn't know the answer to this. Right? If you didn't know what Solomon was going to ask for, you probably would. You're a godly man. All right? But what would you ask for? What do you ask for? Wealth. Pay tuition. Pay tuition. <laughs> right? So, yeah, have some fun with this. I don't know. Maybe a house, a car, a golf course, to win the lottery. All right? Another wish? more, A basketball? Come on. Like... Solomon, obviously here, you know what Solomon asked for when Solomon goes to God here. I, I think of most, you know, most of us, if God just show up, we would start thinking about those sorts of things. Uh, I probably would. You guys are holier than me. Um, but Solomon here, he does. He asks, look, look at what he asked for in First in Kings three, nine. He says, give your servant there an understanding mind to govern your people. Give an understanding mind that and here's the purpose that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this your great people? He said, I, I want a mind that's able to discern between good and evil. I, I, I don't know, like, if I didn't know this story, that's probably not what I would have asked for. God, just, just let me know, like, what's right and wrong. Uh, I, I could really use that in my life and, and then uh, one of the things that is beautiful about his heart here and the reason he asked uh, is this this level of humility This is, and who is able to discern what good good and evil is God without you uh, isn't that just missing from so many of our lives and so many people I mean the, so many of us want to say what is right and wrong uh, and yet we have nothing that kind of no undercurrent to help us Point us towards what is actually right or wrong. And Solomon says, I-, I need to hear this from you, God. Now, God is pretty pleased with this. He is happy with Solomon's request. So if God actually does show up in the middle of the night and um, ask you <laughs> or, or tells you, he'll give you whatever you want, asking for wisdom. All right. Just Behold. 1 Kings 3.12, this is God speaking back and responding to Solomon here. He says, Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall rise after you. In other words, God says, Hey, I'm going I'm I'm to make you wise, Solomon. And I'm going to make you the wisest person ever to live. Nobody after you all right, is going to be wiser than you. Nobody before you is going to be wiser than you. Solomon, this is why we talk about Solomon to be the wisest person to ever live besides Jesus. This idea here, though, I, I want you to see um, what wisdom is. When God talks about making Solomon wise, here He uses this Hebrew word called hokma. All right, can you say that? Hokma. Yeah. All right. Yeah. It's, a, it's It starts with kh. How many words in the English by or, uh dictionary start with kh? There. Um, it's kind of a guttural, almost uh, hokma and. Um, Talk, it's used in scripture to describe these things. I want to and them to it in your notes here. Um, but it is the ability to judge the right course of action for godly living. The ability to judge the right course of action for godly living. This is what wisdom is. And Solomon is given this ability to judge the right course of action for godly living. Wouldn't this be a great thing to have? And we know that this is tested Soon after, Solomon is given wisdom by God. You know the story. Two ladies show up with a sharp-dressed man in a suit, CEO of a company, and they, the one lady says that this man is supposed to marry my daughter. The other lady said, no, this lady is supposed to marry my daughter. And so Solomon tells his servants, he says, bring the sword here. And so they bring his sword to Solomon and he says, I'm going to cut this man in half and I will give half to the first lady and half for the second to the second lady. The first lady says, great, let's do it. The second lady said, no, don't cut the man in half. Well, Solomon says, give the man to the first lady. The second lady said, hold on a second. And everybody in his course saying, hold on a second. You're going to give the man to the lady who wanted to cut him in half? Solomon said, yes. I now know that that's his mother-in-law. So, what, what really happened is two ladies show up one lady in the middle of the night, her, her son had died. and she, uh, What she did is she went and stole uh, the baby of another lady who had given birth about the same time. And these ladies show up to Solomon's court and, Solomon, and they're arguing whose baby is this. And so Solomon says, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to cut the baby in half. And the one lady says, oh, no, please do not cut the child in half. And the other lady says, OK, and is fine with it. And so Solomon says, OK, we will give the baby to the lady who does not want to cut the child in half. That obviously is the child's true mother. And so we see here Solomon's wisdom immediately be put in, being put into place and it continuing. This echoes throughout the kingdom. In fact, uh, Solomon's wisdom was spread throughout the kingdom. He was a writer. Uh, He wrote the book of Proverbs and commissioned many of the Proverbs to be written. He wrote the book of Ecclesiastes and the Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs. All of these are what we would call wisdom literature. Proverbs are truisms. It means that they are true most of the time, like if you apply them to to your life, but just because you do them doesn't mean like you automatically will experience success. They're just the right thing to do, typically. Um, And... uh, I, uh, I, I really like the Proverbs, the book of Proverbs. If you are just a practical person and you're just like looking for things like advice and um, you want, hey, this is real, this is helpful, the Proverbs are... Is, there's, it's a great book to read through. Here are some Proverbs. Here are some of my favorites. Uh, Trust the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. Proverbs 11:12 says, Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense but a man of understanding remains silent. Proverbs twelve one says, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Right? Proverbs are pretty just straightforward. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 14.15, The simple believe everything, but the prudent gives thought to their steps. By the way, G.K. Chesterton uh a Christian uh, apologist, uh, he once said that the problem with people is not that they won't believe everything, it's that they'll believe anything. Solomon said that. Proverbs 14.31 Whoever opposes a poor man insults his, ma- insults his maker, but he who is, who is generous to the needy honors him. Proverbs fifteen one: A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 12.19 It's better to live alone in the desert with a quarrel it's better to live alone in the desert than with a quarrelsome wife. All right, yeah, don't use that too often. So we see this wisdom coming out of Solomon, and I often think, Man, wouldn't it just be nice? Especially as a pastor, just to be able to like think of these things to help people out with. Solomon this is spreading through the kingdom. Uh, his wisdom is spreading through the kingdom. He's got wealth. He's got power. Uh, people really seem to love Solomon. God is blessing him. In fact, uh, God tells Solomon, Hey, I'm going to let you do something that um, your, David fa- your father David always wanted to do. But now is the time and it's to build my temple. And through this temple, people are going to see God's glory. They're going to see his wealth. They're going to see his greatness. They're going to see, see the success of Israel. And everybody is finding out about this because the decisions that Solomon are making, they just all seem to just to to be great. I mean, he's a rock star right now in the world. Uh, He's got people that are coming to visit him, to see his kingdom, to see his wealth, uh, to get advice from him. And so this is what's going on by the time we get to 1 Kings 9, uh, 4 through 9. Solomon has built the temple and he's he's just a man. And God tells him this uh, after he builds the temple. Um, all of this is going on. He says, And as for you, if you will walk before me as, your, uh, as David your father walked with integrity, with a heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne. I will establish it over Israel forever, as I promised David your father, saying, You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. But if you turn aside from following me, you or your children and do not keep my commandments and my statutes that I set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them. Then I will cut off Israel from the land and Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all the peoples. Everyone passing by, everyone passing by it will be astonished and will hiss. Now, What's going on here is God is saying, David, I'm glad that you have built this temple. I'm glad that you're experiencing this great success. And I'm going to I I want to bless you. I, I want things to go well for you, because here's the thing. If things go well for Solomon, if they go well for Israel, people are looking at the God of Israel and they are they are praising God. They're seeing his greatness. They're seeing his power. They're seeing his glory. But God says, "Hey, if you go out and if you worship other gods, if you turn from me, the, the exact opposite will happen. People will not see me. Disaster will come upon you." And He says, and, "And this is really interesting." He tells Solomon here, "Like you have written all these proverbs. By the way, you will become a proverb and, and a proverb of disaster." Now, I don't know. Um, I, I went ahead and kind of wrote down. I'm not a proverb writer. Uh, So these are probably not going to sound as good as Solomon's. But I I think right God would have told him maybe these two things. Like a kingdom, Solomon takes a lifetime to build, but can be lost in a moment. Or respect takes a lifetime to earn, but a moment to lose. Here's basically what God is telling Solomon. I, I do think, well, I know that God knows what's going to happen next. And so he's giving this warning to Solomon. Chapter 9 comes before chapter 10 in 1 Kings. That right? makes sense, right? So in chapter 9, you kind of have everything going for Solomon. Um, you kind of have the apex of his leadership with the temple being built and all this going on and the warning coming. And then chapter 10 comes along and this lady comes into the picture. Her name is King she- or Queen Sheba. And Queen Sheba shows up and... <laughs> wants to see the kingdom and so David begins to show her around the kingdom and I can imagine just her kind of on David's arm going oh you're you're so wealthy and you're so wise uh, show me more um, what can you give me what can you share with me and so Sol- Solomon's head and his ego I believe begins to grow at this time even bigger than it already was and as the chapter 10 continues the writer makes sure to point out that Hey, by the way, Solomon had been accumulating wealth from Egypt. He had been acquiring chariots and building his army from the likes of Egypt. Now, if you've read the scriptures and um, know what's going on here, it would take you back to Deuteronomy 17, uh, Deuteronomy 17, 17 through 19, where they were specifically told to not take gold or silver or chariots from Egypt, Do not become like Egypt or go back to Egypt. And yet you have Solomon sending people back to acquire wealth from Egypt to bring it back to Israel. And so you see here Solomon begins to make uh, some compromises that puts his kingdom in jeopardy under the eyes of God. Then you get into chapter 11. And you don't see just kind of one woman on Solomon's arm. You see hundreds. Uh, He had hundreds of wives and I think about 700 concubines. That's another fancy word for wives. Um, And in chapter 11, what we are told is these are foreign wives. Deuteronomy 17, 17 through 19. So do not take foreign wives. Not because God is concerned about your race or what you look like or where you're from or anything like that. But God didn't want him to take or anybody to take foreign wives so that these ladies would not lead them away from God himself because these ladies would have worshipped other gods. And yet we find that David had, has hundreds of wives who are worshippers of other gods. And what we are told in First Kings eleven four is this. For when Solomon was old his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David, his father. So we see here that Solomon's heart towards the end of his life is actually turned away from God. Now, we are looking at a story here of a man who had it all. I mean, he had it all. He had, he had wealth, he had power, he had He has fame. He's got it all. He's got a, a kingdom that is largely peaceful. And yet we discover that his heart becomes divided here between God and his wealth and his relationships. And his kingdom actually follows his heart here. As his heart becomes divided, his kingdom becomes divided. When you continue to read what you discover is his sons. He has groups of sons that then want to rule and the kingdom is literally divided. Judah to the south and Israel to the north. And so, the kingdom that was once full and prosperous now are at odds with each other and at odds with the world. On top of this, if you continue to read the Bible, what you discover is that Solomon's temple is destroyed because of the decision's that he and his sons eventually make. Now, let us jump into some application for ourselves today as we look at the story of Solomon. First, your bodies, we are told, are the temples of God. And when we begin to make small choices, many of them can lead to disastrous results. I believe that Solomon here, he teaches us, he teaches us that things often, though, happen slowly. See, it's by the end of his life that he began to turn away from God. A lot of the mistakes we make that lead to disasters or from us walking away from the faith, they don't happen in a moment. It happens over time. You know, I don't know anybody who probably wakes up in the morning just randomly and says hey I'm going to walk away from the Lord today or you know what I'm going to make a decision today that's going to destroy my relationship with my wife or my husband or my friends right nobody wakes up and and does that in a day Those, those decisions typically happen gradually over time maybe it's spending time with somebody of the opposite sex, one on one, that you know, this is just not a safe thing to do. It it, it could be, I'll I'll, I'll try that, I'll I'll take a hit of that, I'm not going to become addicted to that. Or I'll I'll look at my friend's computer here. I wouldn't go home, there's no way that I would become addicted to pornography. You know, if I just take a couple dollars from my business here, it won't lead to any more. If I allow anger to just sit inside of me, it won't blow up. There's, I don't know if it's true or not, I've never tried it. Um, I've never cooked them alive. Uh, But if you cook a frog, and if you take a frog and you put it in hot water, it'll jump out. Did you know that? That's what I'm told. Um, but if you put that frog in lukewarm water and you turn on the stove and allow it to cook, that frog will remain in the water and you'll get to eat frog legs in a little bit. Yeah. right. Most of us, right? The decision... Most of us, like when we have disasters or things that happen in our lives, we're like that frog. You kind of just jump into. Lukewarm water, and just kind of see, hey, what's going to happen? And we remain there. This is what I believe happened to Solomon, right? And one of the reasons that I want us to look at this and kind of contemplate this: if Solomon was the wisest person ever to live, if he knew the right thing to do, and at at the end, didn't always do the right thing. Like, aren't we also, if we aren't capable, if we aren't careful, aren't we also able to fall in the same types of traps that Solomon fell into? Don't we too need this humility? Hey, God, keep me in check. Maybe there's something in your life right now that you've been participating in or you're just thinking about doing and I, I don't know. Hopefully, this morning that I, you're just hearing God say, just stop. Hold on for a second. Think about this before you do it or continue to do it. I want us to watch this video this morning. It's really powerful from um, so Casting Crowns. It's called Slow Fade. Um, and then I'm going to come up and conclude the message. But check this video out here. Maybe there's just something in your life right now that is causing you to drift or kind of just to fade in the wrong direction. I think I believe that God would just tell you to do this one simple thing repent and just turn around change your mind change your direction and turn towards Christ maybe you feel like you've headed down a road just for so long and and, uh, you are covered in guilt and shame and um, you don't know what to do and here's what I'd encourage you to do is to receive the forgiveness that God provides through His Son, Jesus Christ, repent and turn to Christ and the forgiveness that He provides. Let us pray. Father, this morning, I pray that as a church, whether we are young or old or new to the faith or somebody who has walked with you for many years, that we all finish strong. Father, give us the wisdom to know what decisions... Our concessions that will lead to colossal mistakes for ourselves or maybe even for those whom we love. Father, give us the power to choose what is right and to know what is wrong. Father, when others see our choices, I pray they see Christ in the same way as people when they were supposed to look at the temple and come and see Solomon, that they were supposed to be able to see your glory. Father, surround us with other believers that will help us see when we are not making wise decisions or walking with you. Help us to remember the words of Solomon when he says, a wise person listens to advice. Father, I pray for those who feel like they may have made mistakes that they can't turn back from. Remind us all that You forgive and You receive all who repent and turn to You. Father, I pray today that we all turn from our own wisdom and we seek to rely on Yours. Might someone might someone decide today to receive forgiveness and to trust in You.